Hi, and welcome to the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. I'm Sarah Merle. And this week, we're going to be talking about the swirling ethics issue at the issues at the Supreme Court, specifically the walking ethics violation that is Clarence Thomas. Um, but before we get to that, Sarah, what are you eating and what is eating you? Uh, well, in the office here with me, um, I suffer from whatever disease it is where you can't help but buy a snack every time you go to TJ Maxx. So like nothing mm-hmm. name brand, right? Just like something obscure, which which I found out later, by the way, that <clears throat> a lot of those things are manufactured. They are contract packaged for, you know, TJ Maxx, et cetera. Um, but this is called Truva Bite Size Wafers with Hazelnut Flavor. Those are down by my feet. I was I was mm. snacking on those last time I was in this little office in here, so... Uh, and what's eating me, um, I don't know. Today's actually been a really good day. I did something where I put off, where I accomplished something that I've been putting off for literally like two months almost. And can, can you share, what did you accomplish? Oh, it was just paying a bill. Like it was just like being out of money at the end of the season and then getting money and, you know, taking care of like something that I could have paid off in, in increments, but it's like, nah, fuck it. I have the money to pay for it. Let's just, let's just get rid of this debt. No, I and that always feels really good, right? Yeah, yeah. When you finally get that bill out from like that's been hanging, uh, hanging over you. Yeah. So congratulations, yeah. that must yes. feel really nice. Yes, thank you. What about you? What are you? What are you eating? What's eating you? Uh, so I'm technically technically it's imbibing. Um, so <laughs> I uh, got myself a Drinkmate carbonator, and Ooh. I'm obsessed with fizzy beverages. Always love them. But I was spending too much money on things like Pellegrino and things, so I, I invested in the in the Drinkmate, and I got that one because it can carbonate not just water, but it's also designed to carbonate uh, pretty much any beverage that you put in it, and it is Ooh. awesome. Yeah. That is that is a superior trait to the Soda Stream, which is uh, famously just makes small bombs whenever you um, you know and put anything in it that has like a t- the tiniest bit of sugar for those carbon molecules to grab onto. Exactly. And so that's why I was researching it because I wanted to try, I had used carbonators before like soda streams, but I wanted to sort of up my game so I can also use it at parties and things to make uh, sweet fizzy drinks for people, namely myself, because I drink like a teenage (laughs) girl. Um, Anyway, highly recommend a a, a good victory. Um, Feeling feeling pretty good about that. And uh, what's eating me? uh, Honestly, uh, I just watched the John Oliver about homeowners associations. Yes, yes. Um, and I've always, I've always focused on the racial aspects of HOAs. Yes, correct. Um, and how they're god awful, and uh, even now without explicit racial covenants, they use all sorts of things to prevent people of color and correct. poor people uh, from moving in. But uh, I didn't know that they could like foreclose on people's homes and things like that. So it, it just it made me even more angry and depressed and I wanted to raise Matthew Desmond of evicted fame to God King status. <laughs> um, in in this. So uh, my friend Andrew house is like the um, rich justice oriented gay uncle that everybody deserves, but only a handful of blessed children get. Yeah. Um, but along with just like taking you out for lunch at the um, Columbia club, which is like the rich Republican um, like dinner slash party, you know, it's, it's the country club in a high rise. Um, he also just regularly will dissolve HOAs. Like he will just put the legal processes in place to dissolve HOAs. I know he's done it at least once where he, he got this HOA. If you don't know, um, 
HOAs are the the phrase that they use is to protect property values. What that is never not code for is uh, excluding certain um, uh, races from your um, your community and also um, people who, like you said, might have gotten their first home loan or, you know, like might have, you know, like if there's one thing that white people who claim to love immigrants actually hate, it's when immigrants actually make enough money to buy a Mercedes and a house in their neighborhood. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in some cases, it's just a way to out- outright steal shit. Like the yes. John Oliver named uh, one case in which a homeowners association seized a property because the person owed a little over $3. Great. To the homeowners Great. association. Perfect. Um, yeah. Seized the uh, whole property and sold it then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't have to notify because that's, yeah, it's messed up. Um, and so that really bothered me. Oh, but I want to go to one more victory. I, wa- I just wanted to keep this upbeat because we're diving into some dark ass shit. Yeah. Um, so uh, for Easter, I uh, had dinner with my, uh, my mom, my brother and his wife. And to a, a place with our seafood, the seafood was only okay. But they had... Um, uh, they had this very specific form of cheesecake. Um, so, uh, uh, <laughs> fuck, now I can't. Now, it literally just flew out of my mind. Um, oh, Basque cheesecake. Yes, and yes. I was, I was confused. What is Basque cheesecake? Why are these Spanish people... Um, <laughs> <laughs> making cheesecake and what makes it special now basque cheesecake in for all you lazy chefs out there doesn't require <laughs> even like a, a baking can vessel you can do it in parchment paper in fact uh, the it, name that sometimes gets applied to it when it's being sold to american audiences is just burnt cheesecake yes and that's like <laughs> so it doesn't have a crust and it has this uh, very dark caramelized exterior and it's closer to like a souffle yes and I'm a New Yorker and I love New York cheesecake, but I often find it to be too dense and too rich. Yeah. And like you eat half the piece and then you feel like you need to die. Um, And then, you know, Cheesecake Factory then repossesses your corpse and rolls you into the next batch of cheesecakes. There you go. Um, But with the Basque cheesecakes, because they're so light and souffle like, they're just exquisite and beautiful. And with a little bit of whipped cream and a few uh, and a little bit of fresh fruit, it was just absolutely exquisite and now i get to try to experiment with it and i don't have to worry about making a crust i can just try to perfect my parchment paper baking skills that's, yeah, the, i think that's pretty great uh if, if you also want to just like play with uh play with cheesecake bases as like your next project um play goof around with a little mascarpone in there it is exquisite yeah and uh i mean everyone out there probably knows uh that i love sweets because i mention them all the time <laughs> And for me to like bring up that I like something more than New York cheesecake. And for me, New York cheesecake is like a solid eight, eight and a half out of 10. Yeah. So like, yeah, this like, this blew my mind how good it was. So I'm just saying, uh, I don't know where it's been all my life, but thank you people in the Basque region of Spain. Uh, Thank you for making a cheesecake that you can eat the whole freaking thing at once. Yeah. That burnt layer, by the way, don't let it turn you off because it is very dark, but it is, it makes, it adds this unbelievably exceptional, for me, the perfect dessert is tiramisu. So the bitter Mm -hmm. creamy thing is like my favorite place to be on the dessert board. God, Mm -hmm. just saying that made me hungry. Um, 
I got this good mic too, so you're probably going to hear it, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, speaking of, uh, oh, I was going to make um, an uncouth joke, but anyway, I think we should just move on to a, to right. a, 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 a you know, just a plain introduction. Yeah, so let's move into the heart of darkness here and uh, <laughs> talk about Clarence Thomas and his ethics or lack thereof. Um, I was going to say the burnt exterior of someone's soul, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, luckily, uh, he is one of those people who looks sort of the same on the outside and the inside. He is just as dour and awful internally as he is externally um and so ProPublica released sort of bombshell journalism going into exquisite detail about the gifts the incredibly lavish gifts that um justice thomas has received from a single conservative uh mega donor and i want to say this donor's name is harlan crow which is on on the nose. Yeah. Um, and I want to note Harlan Crow is, is not self-made. He inherited a real estate fortune and has basically spent his life being a fail son. And in uh, 2015, it was reported and confirmed that Harlan Crow is also an avid collector of Hitler memorabilia. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And he claims it's be- to remind him how much Nazism and fascism sucks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I have to say as a, you know, maybe this is me, but you know, I'm a lifelong Yankees fan and like all Yankees fans to remind myself how much I hate the Red Sox. I don't collect Yankees memorabilia. I collect Red Sox memorabilia just to remind myself of how much I hate them. Uh, so just right off the bat, just with this little factoid jumping in here, a theme we're going to see repeated over and over and over again. and like this is kind of the same sort of situation that we saw with the downfall of Dave Chappelle is a very successful black man who we find chiefly uh, aspires to the sort of endless chances and lack of accountability Mm -hmm. of white maleness instead of equality. And this, that, that concept is nonpartisan. It's just, uh, it, it, um, we will talk about what Clarence Thomas's life was like, but he is his whole life exposed to a very particular flavor and variety of white conservatism and rich white conservatism. And those are his, his teachers. Those are his idols. Those are the people who he sees most of all. And it, that echoes for the rest of his career, as well as the fact that Clarence Thomas's grandfather, who, um, let, do you want me to just like, Please. The, 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 the most important like details here, this is just like, I'm just going to read this off of Britannica.com, but um, um, he was appointed to replace Thurgood Marshall, which we'll get into the politics of that. Um, mm-hmm. Thomas's father, MC Thomas, abandoned the family when Thomas was two years old. After the family house was destroyed by fire, Thomas's mother, uh, Leola Anderson Thomas, who worked as, as a maid, remarried. Thomas, <clears throat> then age seven, and his brother were sent to live with their maternal grandparents. Uh, his maternal grandparents were pretty wealthy. Um, he was educated in Savannah, Georgia, at an all-black Roman Catholic primary school run by white nuns, and then at a boarding school seminary, where he graduated as the only African-American in his class. So... We're, we're just, I like, Thomas loves to sell himself as, like, I'm, you know, I'm from a poor part of Georgia. But, like, uh, after his primary school, he goes to 
boarding school as the only black person there, right? Yeah. Um, he attended Immaculate Conception Abbey in his freshman year of college. He's Roman Catholic, by the way. He transferred to Holy Cross College in Worcester, 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 Massachusetts, <laughs> where he graduated with a bachelor's degree in 1971. He received his law degree from Yale University in 1974. So everything after that is like pretty standard career stuff. Uh, attorney general, <laughs> lawyer for Monsanto, yeah. <laughs> uh, legislative assistant to Republican Senator John C. Danforth, um, and in the Republican presidential administrations of Ronald Reagan and H.W., served as the assistant secretary of the U.S. Department of Education, chairman of U- wait, sorry, hang on, hang on, chairman of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. We'll get into that. Yeah. And judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal District of Washington, D.C., 1990 to 1991, which he was appointed by Bush. So the to me, the most salient points there are the fact that he went immediately to boarding school. So like. This is somebody who literally has only experienced family in like uh, temporary and like conceptual terms, right? Like yeah. the closest maternal figure to him most of his life would have been his grandmother and white nuns. No, yeah. thank you. Um, yeah, go ahead. It's, in, it's interesting to me because, you know, I am also a person of color raised primarily by white people in white spaces. And my general take on this is that you go one of two ways with this, that either, and I did this when I was younger, it was really until I went to college where I spent a lot of time identifying with whiteness, wanting to be white, um, and making excuses for the white people around me. And it was only when uh, my therapist, uh, my freshman year of college, he says like, you're spending a lot of time making excuses for why other people aren't racist. Like, Maybe they're racist and you don't need to make excuses for them. And that was freeing. So what (laughs) the path I chose was that I chose then to um, commit myself against white supremacy. That um, I realized that the best I could ever be, and this was in the, like at the fraternity system at Dartmouth, I could be, I could work hard and be a second class frat boy. (laughs) But or uh, by uh, by being the token, right? Yeah. Um, as one of my friends was told uh, when he was looking at a fraternity, they said, "Hey, Sergio," because uh, their um, Latinx uh, member was graduating. They're like, "Sergio, you can be our new token." Oh my! I'm sorry. I uh, uh, drunk drunk frat boys occasionally speak the truth. And also, like this, yeah. that could also be like guys who think that they're so progressive that they've come back around to like, and it's okay that I say this. And you're like, still no, Brad, still no. Yeah. You're not, yeah, being racist ironically, still yes. racist. Yes. Uh, and uh, he obviously had enough. And there, there are always people who are willing to, to make that trade. Say, so like, I will be the token because I can get some of the scraps from the table of white supremacy. There are are always those people. And so that's your choice. Either you can go the route that I chose and my friend did choose, which is to say, no, fuck that shit. Or (laughs) you can be like, I'm going to take what I can get and people justify it. I'm going to play the game. I'm going to do what I, what I need to survive. But at the end of the day, what they're choosing to do is climb up on the, uh, uh, by stepping on the faces of people like them. And Thomas I'm just going to say it flat out. Like people call him uncle Clarence for a reason. He chose to align himself with white supremacy. And I I can see why Um, there are some benefits to it, to him, but we're going to see now 
what exactly those benefits are and why, you know, for example, he might be a little sensitive uh, about this stuff being brought up. And by the way, t- Clarence Thomas, ideologically throughout his life, uh, uh, Behind the Bastards did an amazing, deep, deep, deep dive, like a five-part series on Clarence Thomas. And it's, it's you know, it's five episodes. Obviously, it's way more time than we have here. Yeah. But um, Clarence Thomas has been all over the map ideologically for a while. When he was in college, he was a black separatist. And he explicitly yeah. wrote like newspaper, like uh, student paper articles about how interracial marriage was wrong. Uh, obviously that changed because he is Jimmy. married to the whitest <laughs> J6 nut job that is ever white and J6 nut jobbed. Um, and yeah, he's, you know, just whatever you think about Clarence Thomas, probably something exists in his past to, to contraindicate that. But the fact that he seems to only consistently learn the wrong lessons from all of his, his exposures to these systems is incredible. He was because uh, the big thing that always that gets me about him is his complete inability to recognize, yeah, to recognize, um, have any sense of self awareness, yep, of the internal contradictions of his thinking, of his stances, of his own life. Um, but the one thing that he's always wanted is power and privilege. That's yep. what he's consistently searched searched for. And like you mentioned that he was, you know, he ran the EEOC. He was actually in St. Louis uh, when he did it. And it was well known that he would make inappropriate jokes, hit on women, say things crude, incredibly crude sexual things about them. And when Anita, stuff, when Anita Hill came out, everyone just said, oh, that's just Clarence being Clarence. It's the equivalent yep. of boys being boys. None of this was, all of this was an open secret. So um, he is who we thought he was. Uh, <laughs> uh, this, this I think is interesting because this is stark. I, I think that this is starkly illegal, what he's been doing. So let's get into the details. Yes. So the classic example of this. So let me just lay the legal groundwork here. Um, so there are financial disclosures, rules, that apply to the Supreme Court, that there is basically an ethics in government regulation that requires all certain types of federal employees to disclose certain types of gifts. Um, There are some exceptions. Like, for example, Sarah, if you had me over for dinner, I would not have to disclose that you cooked a Basque cheesecake for me. It was worth $15 in... uh, It was worth $45 between the ingredients and the labor... I wouldn't have to disclose that because I went to your house. I ate from the table food that you made. So there are exceptions for that, right? And this is actually what Thomas claims uh, these gifts fall into. Let me run down the facts. So in 2019, right, Supreme Court finishes in June its, uh, its seating. Uh, it, it releases its final opinion. Then he goes on summer vacation, Clarence Thomas, but he doesn't fly commercial. Instead, he gets on a private jet and heads to Indonesia with his wife, Ginny. The two of them then spend nine days island hopping on a super yacht and being doted on and served on attendance and with a private chef. So if you choose to travel to Indonesia on a private jet, and then be on a private mega yacht with staff for nine days. The total cost, 
would be over $500,000. Mm-hmm. Now, this yacht was owned by a friend of his, Harlan Crow, and everything was paid for by Harlan Crow. Does this sound similar to the dinner that we described before? Listen, Matt, you and I both know that all kinds of friendships happen in all kinds of places. And if Justice Thomas happens to just like be fishing buddies with the chief steward on a super yacht and they want to hang out for a while, but you know, he's got to work, you know, yeah. you're going to tell a guy he can't work, you know, like, you, you, are, you, are you against the working man? Uh, no, this is insane. This is, uh, yeah. this is insane. Yeah. And I want to note two things here. Note that the rules before were about the meal. Mm-hmm. Right. But if I chose to take an Uber to your house, <laughs> would that do you think that would be covered under uh, personal accommodations? I doubt it. I I mean, wait, wouldn't I don't I don't know what you, what you are doing. correct. Your instincts yeah. are correct. It wouldn't yeah. be because that's not a personal accommodation. That's not something you're providing to me in your home. Yeah, no. Right. So the Uber ride, the transportation specifically must be disclosed if you paid for it. So even if we accepted the food, right? Even if we Mm. accepted the food, um, the private jet at the minimum needed to be disclosed. Now, let's say I stayed over. I slept in, in your guest bedroom. Again, it's your home, your personal home. Don't have to disclose that most likely under the rules. Is the mega yacht analogous to Harlan Crow's private home? Oh, fuck. I hate this shit because then we start getting into like, you know, then, you know, these assholes always have cover for this, right? Like, oh, you know, it's basically my second home or like, you know, here's here's how I'm here's how I'm devil's avocadoing it to borrow a phrase from uh, sounds like a cult. I'm asking um, you to common common sense it for me. Well, I mean, of course not. Right. Like, of course, this is this is clearly profiteering. What I'm saying is yeah. like if I'm going to if I'm going okay. to take up Harlan Crow's position, which yeah. is like. Oh, well, that staff, I'm going to, I was, I'm going to pay them anyway. They're part of my yearly staff and I keep them on for a year. You know, I pay them an annual salary. Right. So like, couldn't be that. Right. Like just the, the chipping away of the actual, like, this is so yes. gross. This is so patent. So note that gross. the argument you're making there is bad, right? You're, you're, you're yeah. searching. And I think bad that's faith. great. Bad, yeah, yeah, bad it's faith a bad faith argument, yeah. right? Because these are servants on your mega yacht yeah. that you wouldn't normally have. Right. That it's not like your live in housekeeper. It's not like a nanny for your children. These are literally local paid staff. Right. Who are who you hire just to be on your yacht for the nine days. You know, there are people whose jobs are to be like private jet, um, uh, 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 like um, staff. Yeah. 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 Stewards. But they're not but they're paid by another company. They're not paid. They're not part of the rich person staff. They're, They're hired by the company. So I just want to make clear here that any argument that there's an analogy here like falls apart once you go, oh no, there is there is staff. <laughs> like- yeah, yeah. And and just because of the way listen, I don't know how to tell you this, but sometimes I get on YouTube and I fall down rabbit holes. And one of them that I did was like yacht regulation. And a lot of these are um their flags are in Malta. So like Every year they have to put the entire goddamn crew on a plane where the only thing they're supposed to do is they fly there, they get their passport stamped or they get their visa renewed and they get back on the plane and go back to wherever the the yacht is, um, Uh where it's like little home 
or where it happens to be in the world. And there's all kinds of the reason that rich people love yachts is because uh, maritime law and shit and like the way all this like there is so much bullshit that you can do on the ocean that you can't do on dry land. And I mean that like legally and financially, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like that was actually in Morbius, the most movie movie of all time. There's a there's a reason why they do some of the experiments on a ship in uh, international waters. That's actually exactly. like a funny little a little thing. I'm like, hey, exploiting maritime law. Um, so here we have, you know, a pretty clear violation of ethics rules, even if you you buy the bad faith argument about the yacht being like personal accommodations. Right. right? At the very least, the private jet flights right. need to be disclosed. But this is not the first time and only time that I was gonna, yeah. Thomas flies on Crow's private jet. He is flying on this guy's private jet constantly. Yep. Constantly. Like, more uh, or less, what we find out is, uh, isn't he, like, essentially subsidizing basically most of his private travel, if not all of it? Yes. Yes, yeah. essentially. And that Thomas is using this to like go to speaking engagements yeah. uh, that he has, right? Because, you know, oh, he, lest he have to travel commercial with us mere mortals. No, he uh. instead gets on this private jet. And again, this single vacation, nine days, over $500,000. Now, Thomas makes, like all Supreme Court justices, $285,000 a year as his salary. Um, plus, you know, he, once he leaves the bench, whether he decides to, he then gets a, 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 a pension that is based off of that very, very high salary. And then like Clarence Thomas, even if he made no money beyond that pay, is making, oh, I think, twice as much essentially as a member of the House of, of Representatives. Like right. he is $285,000 in any city in the world yeah, is good money. And, and he has positioned himself, you know, I, I feel like we shouldn't call it Candace Owensing. I feel like we should refer to it as justice Thomasing, uh, where he's like positioned himself in, in the character that Republicans love to use to justify their own racism, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, that is, that can be a very lucrative media space to occupy when you get into, like you said, speaking engagements or book sales or anything like that. Yeah. So he can't be paid for the speaking engagement. He can be okay. put up very nicely. Yeah. And let's say, you know, he, you know, he's, pro he speaks at, um, at many schools. I know, uh, at many law schools and they yeah. always take them out for nice dinners and stuff. Right. You have, he has to disclose anything over $415, but yeah. that doesn't raise any red flags. If Yale law decides to fly in justice Thomas, uh, for a speech, um, put him up in like the, the Ritz for 500 a night, uh, get him a nice meal, pay for his flights. So maybe yes. the whole thing costs five grand, 10 grand. That's above board. Nobody bats an eyelash. He reports that. In 2004, Thomas uh, disclosed and was criticized at the time for accepting gifts of art, specifically hmm. um, a, paint, a painting, uh, a sculpture, and then a, and a painting that were between 10 to 20 and then up to $40,000. He was criticized for accepting this at the time, particularly because one of the pieces of art was of himself, which was funny. Um, well, well, not to mention that, like, we're very well aware. Or I think most people are well aware that art is one of the most simple and quick ways to launder money that's yeah. ever existed, you know? Yeah. And when he received that criticism, 
His response was not to stop taking those gifts. His response was simply to stop disclosing them. Great. Great. Yeah. I, I just want to make that very clear that he Fantastic. just appears to have stopped disclosing these sorts of things uh, around that time. He didn't Integrity. stop accepting them. Uh, he just decided to stop reporting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, for example, there was another, uh, uh, at the time, Trump uh, administration lawyer who was on a trip with Thomas uh, that Thomas did not disclose. Great. And he ran it by his ethics council. And the ethics council told him, oh, you need to either disclose it or pay it back. So the 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 lawyer reimbursed Crow for the travel. Great. For the trip, right? Because this is what any ethics lawyer will tell you. Yep. Because again, I just want to be clear, the whole purpose of the ethics law is to avoid even the appearance of undue influence. <laughs> so if you have a conservative mega donor subsidizing your lavage lifestyle, 500 grand here, 40 grand here, private jet here all the time. You know, Sarah, what what's the average person going to think? I mean, I mean, aside from the obvious like they have essentially bought all of his opinions at that point, uh yeah. but like you know, Thomas is is already known for mostly being a bump on a log uh, or a bump on the bench, a silent rock upon the bench for the last, I don't know, 20 years and only recently started asking questions. But now, you know, it makes a lot more sense why that was, you know, it's just like, if he's, he's essentially getting hush money, you know what I mean? Like he's like paid to keep quiet and not ask, ask a lot of questions on the bench. Uh, by the way, we have a serious bulldog situation here. There is another dog who is deigned to walk around outside within Benny's ear, uh, eye shot. God and damn he sees it. the dog. Yeah. And he is losing he is, his shit. Yeah, he is. He doesn't mind other dogs unless they get in his space. And now that he can see that dog, now that dog is going to get it. He's going to show him who's boss. Uh, <laughs> oh, the joys of, of live recording. Um, uh, we might keep it in. We might keep it out. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think you're right. That like It just makes it look like he's bought and paid for. Yeah. Right. And J- Thomas says, well, Crow has not had any business directly before the court crow crow has not been a um has not been a uh, litigant before the supreme court yeah why is that maybe not a great argument well because like you know a it, it it's not about what is going to happen or what has happened it's like he's buying insurance basically like you know he's a benefactor uh pays you no matter what, just because you're not painting all the time. Like they just want to ensure that when they do need a majestic portrait, they get first in line, you know? Yeah, exactly. And also there are lots of things that Crow might want that might Mm -hmm. not have anything directly to do with him. Right. Crow might want, for example, Donald Trump to be president Mm -hmm. and Crow doesn't have to be the one suing. He's not the one in court, but he's getting some, he might, he could theoretically get something he wants without being a litigant before the court. And so, I think that actually the common sense everyday person's opinion here is, is entirely right. I think that that's exactly the sort of thing we should be worried about. And this is not just for, you know, Thomas. This is for any type of judge. We want to be very, very, very aware of who's buttering their bread, right? I almost said breading their butter. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, when it like we don't always see often like the the direct benefit of like certain decisions going certain ways, right? But like someone like Crow is going to have a million shares of a million businesses in a million different, you know, right? So like if the court rules in favor of the coal industry, that's probably going to benefit Crow. If the court rules in favor of, you know, you know, like we were just talking about um, Thomas ruling that like, if you, even if you get exculpatory evidence, like you're kind of fucked, like, you know, mm-hmm. fucked is fucked. You know, that doesn't, that while that is obviously an immediate affront to the idea of justice itself, it also really benefits for-profit prisons. You know, that guarantees a paying customer, so to speak, for, you know, an indefinite amount of time. Precisely. And also, let's say Thomas rules on tax policy. Right. You know, Thomas rules on a lot of things that impact mega wealthy people. And the whole point of barring these sort of things or requiring disclosure is that we know. Is that we know who who's getting what for what. And then also, if it looks bad <laughs> or if it looks improper, right, yeah. then there can be sanctions because this is an area where Congress has exercises its oversight yeah. um, capacity. This is the whole point. And so, like, Crow's defense, he admits to doing it and he says, quote, and, the hosp- and he said that the hospitality is, quote, no different from the hospitality we have extended to our many other dear friends, end right. quote. He, Crow is perfectly free to extend whatever hospitality he wants in private to his other dear friends, as long as they're not federal judges or Supreme Court justices. This drives me fucking crazy. This drives me fucking crazy. When people talk about, like, you know, you have a platform, a certain amount of power. Like, I'm talking about Clarence Thomas all the way down to, like, you know, social media influencers with... 100,000 followers, right? Like, we don't get to, we're not playing this dumb fucking game anymore of like, oh, I'm just like everybody else. No, the fuck you're not. No, the fuck you're not. I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I don't, we're not playing, we're not doing every man cosplay anymore. You're not everybody. You are a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, and it's it's a bad argument because conduct that is that is perfectly fine in one case is often punished and seen as improper in others. Like, for example, if a judge says, if Clarence Thomas says, well, I had sexual relations with a woman no different than that I've had with many other women, but that person, that woman was a litigant before the court. Yeah. We would obviously see that as improper. (laughs) Right? You know, if you're a judge and you're banging, you know, one of the people in front of you, yes, you're going to be in trouble even if the substance of what you're doing with them is no different because of, who they are and their relationship to you and your capacity as a judge. So it's a terrible fucking argument. I mean, it is, it's laughable on its, on its face. Of course. And that's what I say here. Like, that's the whole thing. That's the whole, that's the whole thing here. What, what's maddening about this is the kind of power that someone like Clarence Thomas and everybody in that sort of class of power is all about is what I think what they really like, like the sort of power fetishization comes from actually how removed they are from the people who bear the consequences of the stuff. Right. So like there is some kind of sick sadism in, you know, back to the decision about exculpatory evidence for death row inmates, like where like he can just like give an opinion that might end up in the death of a lot of just like common poor people. Like, Someone like Thomas, I just wonder if he's just like, 
like my family, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around here. My uh, first dose of Adderall is wearing off and I didn't take one beforehand, but, uh, <laughs> Like there's this whole thing about not being a victim, right? Like mm -hmm. there's a conservative mindset about like, I'm not a victim when you don't have to be a victim to acknowledge like the, you know, the forces of bias or whatever that might be working against you. But usually what I find is that mindset gets taken to such a ludicrous extreme that like Thomas almost feels someone like Thomas or someone who acts like him would feel compelled to like more harshly punish poor black men who came from exactly his circumstances because they quote unquote didn't work hard enough. Because if there's one thing that conservatives love, it's to edit out all of the legs up into all the stirrups that they stepped in over their lives, you know? Yep. And of course, unlike Harlan Crow, who was hardworking enough to be born the son of a real estate yeah, magnate, yeah, yeah. who pulled yeah. himself up by his, by his bootstraps in the womb to be born yeah. to the right person. I was going to say who pulled himself up by the lucky sperm. Yeah, exactly. That like, this is what we're talking about here, that it does give us an insight into Thomas's judicial philosophy and yeah. the people to whom he sees himself, who see whom he sees as peers, That's exactly who he right. sees as worth spending time with. Because yeah. I have to say, if you, if you know, let's say Harlan Crow goes up and hits on you at a bar, ugh, ugh. right? What's you mean? What's your immediate reaction? Besides yuck, uh, no yeah. thank you. Yuck yeah. and no thank you. Right. And Thomas is like, I need to be this guy's friend. Like yeah. this guy can give me shit I want. Yeah. Right. Uh, side note too about um, Thomas's background. He actually has sisters. Like he has sisters. The reason that uh, boys only appear in his uh, like bio biography is because his grandpa only decided to educate the boys like he he was like when i say that thomas's whole family to his like he thinks about this about his own mother like he is the kind of person who blames his mother for his father leaving because she chose a bad man and didn't keep him happy like yeah. this this shit with how he feels about women runs so deep is the only point i'm trying to make here yeah uh and you can see why he would take particular umbrage at a woman like Anita Hill, you know, right. <laughs> uh, 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 daring to get in his way. Um, yeah, I mean, he, this, he really is that like there's, you know, there's the strain of sexism that I try to like when my my friend Katie or my friend Jess's sister, Katie, uh, said the most one of the most important things to me in my life, which was there are only two type kinds of men. And I generally hate this binary thinking, but there are men who think women are people and then there are men who don't think women are people. Um and Thomas is like on the extreme end of women are not people like you are there to like have tea parties and have your little girl stuff like you can do your girl stuff. And obviously you're going to make my babies, which I don't do. The, do the Thomases even have kids? I have no idea. I'm not looking into it, uh, but I don't I don't want to think about them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like like, you know, but like women are not there to be serious people to Clarence Thomas. So that's why it's like it's even silly. It's silly for Anita Hill in his mind. I get I would guess to even be there and think that like she could be in a men's space where women don't belong and think that we're not going to treat her like a meat that she is. You know what I mean? Yep. And then get in his way when he's mm -hmm. about to get the thing that he wants. And I mm -hmm. want to note that this sort of masculine outrage, toxic masculine outrage is actually very similar to what we saw in like Brett Kavanaugh. Yep. You know, how dare this woman uh, get in my way when I'm so close to what I want or Lindsey Graham's performative outrage. Uh, also 
would you talk really quick about Clarence Thomas's appointment in the seat of Thurgood Marshall? Like the, 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 the massive fuck you that that was intended to be at the time. Yeah. And still is. So Thurgood Marshall, first black Supreme court justice, Mm -hmm. renowned champion of civil rights, an unbelievable touchstone and continuing touchstone for um, liberal and progressive thinking on issues of race. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the seat opened up, the, it, we're, there's this weird culture around, oh, it's this person's seat. It's not, but that's that's sort of how we think about it. The goal was to, and the reason Thomas was chosen, was essentially as a straight-up repudiation of everything that Thurgood Marshall chose uh, stood for the entirety yep. of his life that we had this incredibly intelligent, um, honorable black man who stood for the best angels in American life. Yep. And Thomas was chosen for two reasons as a thumb in the eye mm-hmm. and also as a Trojan horse, because the, crass political calculation was that the Republicans could get away with putting forward such a vile human being. And as long as it was a black man, the Democrats couldn't depose him. Yeah. And there was some, there was some, a degree of truth to that at the time. And, and Clarence Thomas throughout his life has been happy to take up that mantle whenever it benefits him. So I want, I want, I want everybody to be so aware of this particular dog whistle. So there is among black conservatives who take up a position of, of, um, you know, what's the word public front facingness, right? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, they love the phrase black people who think for themselves, like, uh, Thurgood or, um, Thomas said, you know, uh, what's his, what's his like famous phrase where he uses that, um, I, I don't you know, know the exact phrase, but yes, he essentially claims he's a free thinker. He's not going to be a sheep. Yeah, right. So yeah. like what that is always code for is I am going to turn my back on the only party that has ever substantively created more equal uh, civil rights and life for minorities in America. Yeah, since since the reversal of roles during the civil rights movement. Yeah, correct. And like. So we talked a little bit before about like the Uncle Tom position, yeah. and we see this in, with all with all people from subordinated groups. Like you see this with women, mm-hmm. um, particularly what upper uh, uh, upper middle class white women, um, who choose to align themselves with white patriarchy because they can be that woman, right? Yep. And but their goal is to then gatekeep and keep out everyone else. Right, all the other women who who would make a claim to that space. That's correct. Um, so this is why you know when we talk about tokenism, uh, people like me talk about tokenism. It is appealing to people who are straight up opportunists and don't care. Yep. Because you can accrue personal benefit in the short term from that by being the 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 sharp t- the, the you know the tip of the spear against people like you, but. I think what those of us, if you think a little bit deeper, is that you realize that your role only, your the benefit only adheres yeah. as long as you continue to do what they want. That's right. The moment you're not useful. Let's say Thomas had 
uh, ha- had decided, you know, he was wrong. He switched his judicial philosophy, right? Let's say that he decided he was wrong about civil rights. He was wrong about abortion. He starts, you know, becoming more liberal. He gets nothing. He doesn't get yeah. these trips. He doesn't get the plaudits. He might have gotten. He might have gotten impeached for his conduct, right? Yeah. You only get the benefits as long as you continue to benefit white patriarchy. I mean, uh, the, there's if you if you need another reason to actually read uh, *Handmaiden's Tale*, uh, the one of the one of my favorite parts is when uh, the commander the commander promises Serena that she can speak, like she can have this platform, and it comes time for her to speak, and he says, "Oh no, actually, why don't you just go stand over there?" Right? Like she thought, girl, she thought she was gonna get a little piece of that power, and you know, at that moment, like uh, there's a famous. Infamous, I think is the right word. A woman on um, TikTok who just, you know, regurgitates misogyny, right? And it's like the irony is the kind of man who agrees with her would not want her because she's still a loud, opinionated woman on the internet, right? Like, if you align yourself with these forces, the minute that you contradict whatever whatever system that they've built that benefits them even a little bit, I mean, like like the tiniest, even if even if Clarence Thomas was like oh well you know libertarian position uh abortion is not my business right it's between a woman and a doctor which really should be the libertarian position uh even then his entire party and platform would turn on him like those trips yeah. would disappear for that exactly it, it it all goes away so you wind up you still wind up a slave just a different slave yeah right and i use that term very pointedly yeah. here right that the conception of hegemony right of oppression is that they convince the oppressed to forge their own chains right that's what this is about and this role the uncle tom role i think it's you know django um the quentin tarantino movie django unchained there's a there's the uh house negro role played by um samuel jackson who's the enforcer for leonardo dicaprio's slave owner and that's always been it was a real it was a real phenomenon yeah um and but that's always been a dynamic and generally we have now moved away from celebrating those types of people um but clarence thomas he would hate being characterized this way but i make the same criticism of people of of asian people (laughs) who play the same role right Uh, my my entire criticism of asian uh, students who are like willing to be plaintiffs in anti-affirmative action cases Mm -hmm. Right. I'm like, like, dude, they don't want more Asians. They want more white people at Harvard. Like the yeah. goal isn't to get more of you. Yeah. Um. Not that, not that I'm a, not that I'm like an endangered minority or whatever, but like when they tried to play, do you remember the MTV VJ Kennedy when they tried to put her on Fox news and they're like, look, it's Kennedy. And I was like, yeah, if you think it's going to be that easy, like, no, you can't just pick somebody out of the hat and be like, they're conservative. Don't you want to join us? Like, no my no. values are not that flimsy <laughs> it's the same way that like uh the fox people who keep trying especially the women who keep trying to uh the female anchors who keep trying to switch over like speak their actual mind megan kelly is like a classic example the moment she stopped towing the party line her career ended <laughs> i love that like if i what i want everyone to think of on like right wing right wing ideology and sort of like basing a media career is um 
in Austin Powers, the Dr. Evil uh, chair that tips over into a pit of fire just instantly. You're just flipped over and burned alive. That is what is at stake on the right, you know? Exactly. And it's like, you know, we can say the same dynamic happens with Amy Coney Barrett, that Amy yeah. Coney Barrett is is incentivized in every possible way to basically stab other women in the back. Correct. And, and she does so. Um, she does it with a smile. Um, but she, but she still does it, and like this this is particularly gross. I think in the Thomas incident, I, I think what makes it so upsetting, at least for me, is that in any of like, for example, if you're a member of Congress, you can't you generally can't accept gifts over fifty dollars. Yeah, like it's not even a matter of disclosure. Obviously, you need to disclose, but you have to run it by an ethics committee like i'll take one person i really admire uh alexandria ocasio-cortez um was at the met gala she received some gifts and um she was and she was had to reimburse them for them she was found yep. that she had violated ethics rule by accepting you know the gift bags it was like twelve thousand bucks i want to know it was like 12 grand she paid it back yeah uh and that stuff happens all the time but for literally the only thing thomas had to do was disclose and then he yep. can just keep it all. You know, he doesn't run afoul of the law, nothing. Mean, meanwhile, by the way, um, the first, oh my God, what was the name of the attorney that worked for the Clintons that killed himself during their, um, uh, oh, do you know what I'm talking uh, about? Yes. Um, oh, I, I will look it up, but yes. Yeah. So um, he killed himself because he was already sort of, he, he was dealing with some pretty severe. Oh, uh, Vince Foster, Vince Foster. Vince Foster. Thank you. So Vince Foster was already dealing with some pretty intense, like, anxiety and depression problems and really felt this like pretty intense sort of um imposter syndrome and then um he he forgot to report some travel funds it was so small it was so minor uh the office was like it's fine just like pay it back like it, it, it truly like happens all the time he took that so personally in his like you know not not best self state that he killed himself because of it like meanwhile clarence thomas is like indonesia yacht hopping fuck yeah no one needs to know <laughs> oh yeah uh i can't even i mean ethics professors every legal ethics professors everywhere are just like well my final just wrote itself um <laughs> yeah. but like the depressing kicker is because he's a supreme court justice nothing's gonna happen to him yeah right um, that if he had been any other judge, let's just, he's a normal federal judge. Dude is probably, you know, probably has to resign, but, um, I want to pivot now to the broader court culture. Cause I think it's, we've pretty well established Thomas is a horrible sleazy piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. This is just gross in the extreme. Um, yeah. and I noted the stuff about Crow being a, uh, a Hitler memorabilia collector, I think it is important because, again, these are the kinds of people that, you know, Thomas sounds like, this is who I should be getting gifts from. Like, this yeah. guy, like, signed copy of Mein Kampf uh, owning guy. That's at, the guy. At minimum, it speaks to a powerful ability to carefully cut blinders in the shape that you need them to be to block out all the things that you want don't want to see, you know? <laughs> I guess that's like a very, it's a big dedication to um, putting the blindfold on justice. Yeah. Like he took yeah. that very literally for himself yeah. ethically. Mm -hmm. But like, what's your perception 
as a as, as a non-lawyer, what's your perception of the Supreme Court right now? So all these institutions, but especially things that uh, institutionally hold a lot of power and are very self-aware of the amount of power that they hold. And um, so the way I sort of think of it is um, like a lot of things on rails, sort of spe- so to speak, like, mm. like once you sort of get uh, on a direction, like um, we were talking about before with your harassment cases, the, you know, the things that you were advocating for, like that you want you you are either all in in the culture of the place right like you either either have to have all your arms legs head everything inside the car as it goes down the track quickly and with like low hard ceilings or you are summarily ejected from it right like and that it's it is on the continuum of things that are difficult to change there's like five person startups on one end and then there's the fucking supreme court on the other end like for some reason it seems even less uh, able to handle dynamic change than the presidency or the rules of Congress or anything like that. What do you, what, how, how's that? I, I think that's a, that's a good description um, <laughs> that you see chief justice Roberts really struggling with um, some, his lack of control over the court whatsoever, right? That like Thomas is now essentially the shadow chief justice because yeah. he is the senior most member of the five person majority on the court to yeah. with with roberts of all people occasionally switch switching with gorsuch and kavanaugh but most of the time roberts being sort of the free agent um and then the three liberal justices yeah. um but like let's get around like court culture you know like what if you were to design the supreme court how much oversight would there be and who would enforce it oh fuck well a lot, number one, like what you know, I, I am I am skeptical of anything that has a lifetime appointment, right? Like I don't yeah. like I don't like college tenure, I don't like any position where once you get through the door, the door closes behind you and no one else can like come in there and yank you out with a shepherd's hook. You know what I mean? Yeah. That more than anything, uh creates cultures of extreme um corruption. So uh I would you would, you would have to have tried a case, Amy Barrett. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I think you make a good point. There needs to be at least some real oversight, not just yeah, not just pretend oversight. And I think that's a good point because there is technically the ability to impeach justices. I mean, but does that? But it would have to be initiated by the House, right? Right, and then ratified by the Senate with a supermajority, right? So. Note that that would mean Kevin McCarthy would have to start the impeachment proceedings against Clarence Thomas. And Kevin McCarthy, like a bunch of rats, would have to start the uh, anti-pizza proceeding against one rat in particular. Here's the thing. All rats love street pizza. They do not want to give up their street pizza. Yeah, and they will fucking fight to the death for it, for that street pizza. So, like, this is the issue we have, is that technically... In like a formal sense, there is an oversight mechanism. In it, 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 yeah, um, in it, it, we use this. You know, in the Latin, it's de jure. Like by law, there is an oversight system, but yeah. de facto, meaning like in fact or in truth, yeah. there isn't any oversight for the Supreme Court because of how divided Congress is, and by the pressures. Because could you imagine if Kevin McCarthy 
impeach Thomas. And then McConnell went along. They they impeached him. They removed him from office. And then Biden got another Supreme Court pick. What what we've been aware of for uh, whether tacit or spoken is tacitly or or out loud is that like the Supreme Court wields infinitely more power. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they are, hmm, they're like accelerant. You know what I mean? Like that uh, Congress, whoever is in control, right? If it's the party that wants quote unquote fewer regulations, which means more boat trips on Monsanto's dime, uh, you know, they can make these laws that say like, oh, you know, uh, Citizens United, for example, is, you know, uh, Corporations have the corporations are people, therefore their donations are speech, right? Can't yeah. unlimited it. dark money. Woo! Right. Um, and then what happened was we ended up with some of the worst. I mean, every nearly every problem that we have with our present electorate, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, does not exist without uh, um, <laughs> Citizens United. United. Yeah, and that came down when I was, I think, a junior, maybe a senior in college, but. Um, our professor was like, hey, this is fucked. And I'm just going to take five minutes to tell you why this is fucked and like what this would enable a corporation to do. And that's what we're that's what we're watching unfold right now. Good job, everybody. Well done, Robert. Yeah. Um, and this, I think that this is the ultimate issue now is that we have a, a an institution with essentially unfettered authority to change American life because they decide what the Constitution means. Yep. So, you know. I have to note that like Heller, the second amendment case that uh, created the personal right to self-defense, which had not been enshrined in second amendment law, literally until the 21st century, right. Mm -hmm. um, decided to overthrow the entirety of America's entire history of pretty significant gun reform in exchange for a radical theory um, cool. that has led to perpetual mass murder, <laughs> like yep. um, preventable mass murder but if the justices if five justices decide that that's the way it's going to be then that's the way it's going to be and the question is like the only oversight is if whether you if it is if you impeach them congress can't do it thomas is blatantly breaking ethics laws unless the other justices decide to censure him or congress decides to impeach him nothing will happen to him Yep. We get, and this is something that I have been writing about a lot and I, for the last few years, that like we get cultures of impunity. We get cult, like if you give people the open ability to do what they want with no consequences. Yeah. Well, guess what? Like we have, and this is why the humanities are important, literature is important. <laughs> we have entire libraries yeah. of of books, films, songs, TV, like about how absolute power corrupts. Correct. Absolutely. And Clarence Thomas rightly, I think, factually understood himself to be above reproach. So when people are like, you shouldn't be taking these gifts, he's like, fuck you, I'm going to take the gifts. I'm just not going to tell you anymore. Yeah, and because we because we are subsidizing their healthcare with our tax dollars, they're going to actually live a lot longer than the average piece piece of shit who you know enriches himself in that way. You know. Yeah, a exactly. And like when you, the the pensions, like I think it's right. Yeah, we don't want like Supreme Court justices, former Supreme Court justices, you know, like you know, go, becoming unhoused because they don't have a pension. But you wind up with people like George Santos, who's holding on to his seat in the House. Correct. 
and he's made a deal where he claims the reason he really wants to do it, somebody who knows him says, uh, is because he wants the pension and the health care for the rest of his life. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> he's a genius, lazy grifter. He's going to do the minimum amount, the most amount of work to maintain the minimum it takes to not get fired. Because that's when they removed him from all of his committee assignments. He was like, sweet. Now I really yeah, don't have to do anything. I just perfect. have to wait out the next two years. They uh, just gave George Santos his ideal setup. I know, right? And so, <laughs> um, I think that like the, the the conception you put forward of hey, we have this powerful institution, we should have actual oversight and guardrails. If someone's doing shitty things, we should have the ability to remove them. Yeah, I don't see this personally as a partisan issue. I yeah, think no. everyone can agree on those principles in general. The problem is, is actually living up to them. Yeah. I mean, term limits for like, this is an easy one for term limits, right? Like at least if you're a congressperson, you have to get, you know, AOC herself proved that if there's a lazy ass person not doing their job, sitting in your seat, take it from them, you know? Yeah. And that's not that's not an in, in kind of insurance or backstop we have for the Supreme Court. Like this is an obvious, even if it's a twenty year, right? Like I'm fine with that. A twenty year, you know, term that's still a really long time. That still guarantees you're going to traverse at least you know two and a half administrations. But you won't be there, you know, for eternity. Yeah. Um. There are there are there have been a lot of really good and I think perfectly constitutional. Um. Uh, reforms to the Supreme Court. There have been suggestions of 18-year terms. Yeah. Um, there have been suggestions of appointments being on a rotating basis from the federal benches. So you'd yeah. have like one person from each circuit rotate in uh, every two years, every four years. Yeah. So you would keep your spot on the federal judiciary. You just serve on the Supreme Court for a, a couple years, four years at a time, and then go back to your normal seat. And I think that in that way you wouldn't actually get rid of life tenure. They'd still be life tenured on the federal bench, but they wouldn't be able to impact American jurisprudence writ large for 40 years, 50 years. Yeah. Um, because again, we're nominating because political parties are smart and they know how to game systems. They start. If it's a lifetime appointment, you want the youngest possible person. Correct. Uh, to sit in the seat. So you nominate people as young as you pop plausibly can. That's why I joke that it's just going to be fetuses. They're going to, going to try to read fetus minds to figure out <laughs> which fetus is going to grow up to be uh, the perfect justice and like nominate them for the bench. Um, and it's why, like, for example, the Federalist Society and other groups start trying to recruit people like in college. Yeah. Right. They're trying to get you on the fast track. So that you you will grow up to be the next Brett Kavanaugh and they can get you in there um, and grease the skids the whole way. Or, you know, if you're a person of color like Clarence Thomas, who's open to those entreaties, they get you as soon as possible. They give you all the things. So you're just like, look at me. I'm amazing. I'm getting all these things. I'm not like all those other suckers. I'm not like all those other uh, 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 affirmative action, you know, hires like, no, no, no. Like, look at my resume. Look how shiny it is. I'm the smartest. Um can I ask you something? Do you think that, do you think that it takes, like, do you have to be, you know, is it pathology, right? Like, are you a sociopath? You have no concept of right and wrong. Or do you just think that like, 
a person's ideology is actually considerably more flexible than we'd all like to believe that like, you know, you just lay a couple of corrosive layers of yacht trips down on there and that thing will just, you know, bend into a wave. I think it's both. I think Mm. that you need to find someone. I think that most people are influenced to some degree by gifts. That's why we do it. But most people have a limit, right? And you need to find someone with enough narcissism to delude themselves into thinking that they are somehow impervious. Yeah. And also to believe that they deserve it. There's like one thing, you know, like uh, the concept of love bombing. Yes. In relationships by like, you know, narcissists or, you know, sociopaths manipulate people into abusive relationships by bombing them up front with all this love and gifts and attention. Um, And like the key thing is just to recognize it up front and be like, that is way too much, way too fast. Like, (laughs) and then stay away from them. But that's essentially what things like the Federalist Society do. They love bomb you in college. You're amazing. Take this trip, take this gift, take this internship, take this job, right? You're incredible. And for some reason, I don't know, like I know plenty of people, especially at, you know, institutions of higher learning. Um, there are always a small percentage of people who will be deluded into thinking regardless of their actual capacity that they are the best at everything and obviously deserve it. This isn't love bombing. This is just getting what they deserve. Yeah. I mean, in the same way, like I just made a TikTok about this, which was like, you know, when you go to therapy and you, you you know, you're somebody who's used to avoidant uh, attachment, right? Like somebody who like doesn't care and, you know, doesn't make any effort for you. And then you start to feel like maybe I do deserve something better than this. Bam, the universe going to hit you with a love bomber and you're going to be like, this is it, boy. And then they're going to fuck you up worse than any of those avoidant motherfuckers ever did. But in the same way, like, you know, overachievers, right, get a lot of that too. Like, there are two kinds of overachievers, I guess. Like there are some who get effusive praise and then some who do everything perfectly because no one ever tells them that it's good enough. So you end up just becoming, you know, kind of automatic about doing, you know, being in the 99th percentile of everything that you do. And then all of a sudden, you know, like you have been busting your ass. I mean, there is some reality to like working hard and being the best. And then someone coming along and giving you the, like you said, effusive love bombing style praise better than like, yeah, doing a good job is great. Like, You know, if you are a person who is obsessed with scores in life rather than (laughs) substance, does that make sense? Like if you are really obsessed with rank and score and 99th percentile and, you know, uh, the Mm 4.0, you know, grade point average, then someone rewarding you for pure ideological rote memorization achievement feels like great. Yep. It reminds me a little bit in like in, in boxing and in combat sports they often will inflate fighters uh, records by putting up against what they're called tomato cans. Yes. Tomato Um, cans. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, About opponents. They can just knock over, right. Who are there to be beat up, right. Who aren't, aren't aren't real fighters. Um, And there's always the question about when can the fighter actually make the transition to fighting actual opponents. Yeah. Right. And there are plenty of amateurs who think who beat up on tomato cans and go, I am the greatest boxer who has ever lived. (laughs) I hit someone once they are out because not because this guy's a tomato can, but because I am just God's gift. I am Aries God of war. Yeah. Yeah. And versus the fighters who go, 
no, like, I still have a lot to learn. I'm getting yes. these opponents for this reason. Um, but I understand that my future opposition is also working hard. They're going to be, they're going to be better and I need to continue to improve. So there's which also is, a concept. Which is our way of saying that if Logan Paul had been roped into right-wing politics, he would just be, you know, Charlie Kirk at this point. Yeah, precisely. Right. <laughs> they've, they've always been playing life on easy mode. Yes. So I, I think of this, you know, this is a metaphor from video games and there's this, uh, um, uh, there's this concept called smurfing. These are players who make fake accounts so they can play lower skilled players and stomp them. Right. Wow. And so smurfing is very, very common. Um, and there's a big divide in the community. And if you actually look at YouTube, there are streamers who make their careers basically just smurfing and stomping on people. And like, awful. And I was in a game, like, I'm a pretty good gamer, but I am not, I'm old, I'm over the hill. Um, (laughs) And I was in one game with a streamer who was at the time one of the top 100 players in the game, and he just murdered everyone in the lobby. And he's streaming it so we can all hear all the terrible things he's saying about us. But it's literally the equivalent of a grown man walking into a room full of toddlers and beating the crap out of them, right? But this is essentially, and but... the thing is that if you are that person who derives enjoyment from that, right, then when someone puts life on easy mode for you, says, here's a federal, here's, here are the connections to get in to Harvard or Yale Law. Here are the connections to get the, 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 the internship at the firm. Here are the connections to get the clerkship at the Supreme Court. Here are the connections to become a federal judge. You don't really have to do anything. Brett right. Kavanaugh was a terrible law student. He was a terrible law student, but he got his job through a connection from a professor he met through pickup basketball. Yep. Meanwhile, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has to be fucking valedictorian of her class. Like, these people are playing the same game, but on a different difficulty setting. They're both technically playing, they're both technically boxing, but to get the same rewards, one has to fight real fighters, the other one has to fight tomato cans. And yet somehow Brett Kavanaugh thinks he is Ares' god of war. Yeah, and um, we were not joking when we said that Amy Coney Barrett has never tried a case yeah. as an uh, attorney. She never did. Yeah, I have as much trial experience as <laughs> yes, she does. Yes, yes, yes. And I am, if you ask me, the last, like, if you ask me, are you the right person to sit on the Supreme Court? I can think of, like, 40 people off the top of my head that I'm just like, dude, you need to talk to them first. Yeah. Because, yeah. like... If you're coming down to me, our nation is in trouble. And this is just off the top of my head. If you gave me a couple weeks, I could give you lists of thousands of people who should be there. Like, come to me, like, in another life. I need to be reborn. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> but if you are living life on easy mode and you have that narcissistic personality trait, you will think based on nothing that you deserve this. Yeah. And in the same way that, you know, if you believe that people who work hard and are smart get rich and you are friends with a billionaire, you might literally be able to delude yourself that this is just you hanging out with one of your bros because you're both really smart, hard workers. He just yeah. happened to make a billion dollars, but you became a Supreme Court justice. Exactly. Clarence Thomas can delude himself into thinking, 
oh, he just, this, these gifts and everything, they don't influence me. It's just me getting what I deserve. Mm-hmm. And Harlan Crow thinking, I'm just such a fascinating, smart dude that I get to hang out with the Supreme Court justice. It has nothing to do with my money, right? <laughs> They're both living in insane fantasy worlds and then demanding yeah. that when we point out, you guys are both delusional. Yeah. <laughs> um, they get so mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> right there i mean the, to use the gamer term they get so butthurt about it <laughs> and that in like in game in like in a gamer space they just start like saying racist misogynistic yeah, nasty things you know on, in chat or whatever um and then like running pepe the frog memes um <laughs> but like that's the that's the same it's the equivalent emotional response here yeah that we're seeing from thomas um and I, 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 the thing that I always want to pose to my opponents and conservative like legal circles is like, do you like the, the good faith actors? Like I want to I ask them like, are these really the people you think should be making the most consequential decisions? You know, I don't want anybody like I don't want anyone to have any power who has been on a yacht except at a boat show. You know, I have to admit. I have never, not only have I never been on a yacht, I have never had the opportunity to go on a yacht. And it is highly doubtful that I would, that if I had a rich friend who owned like a mega yacht, that I would stay their friend if they thought that that was the best use of that like $60 million or $30 million or whatever. I was just thinking, like, I think I actually have been on a yacht recreationally in high school because I went to a college prep school. And the guy, the the kid whose dad's boat I was on is, in fact, a right wing nut job and set their kid yeah. to Cedarville. So there you go. Yeah. And it's like those things are expensive. Like, yeah, yachts are insanely expensive. And boats, they, boats generally just like. The, the joke in the boat industry, and I grew up with a uh, with like just a, like a little speedboat because we grew up on the Ohio River. Mm-hmm. The joke among boat owners is the happiest, the two happiest days in a boat owner's life, life are the day they buy their boat and the day they sell their boat. Now, that's intended for like middle and upper class boat buyers. Like you pay to have it docked, which is like in the water. You pay more to have it lifted up out of the water, but on the water so you can lower it down into the water when you need to. <laughs> You pay to have it pulled out and winterized if you live in a place where it needs winterization. If not, you pay to have it either like driven or ported down to like a, you know, a a thing in Florida. And it's all every step of boat ownership, the fuel, the stuff, the maintenance is so expensive. More than a horse. Yeah, it's a constant money pit, right? And that's always my quest. People ask me, like, why do you do why do I drive an old car? I'm just like, I don't spend money. I try to avoid spending money on depreciating assets. Yep. Right. And I do a lot of like and my brother and I do a lot of calculations between balancing like the purchase price of the car and depreciation and then upkeep, like trying to find the perfect convergence for minimal pay the minimal cost of owning and maintaining a car. Yeah. But imagine that just deciding, because a car is necessary for our lives. But imagine choosing to do that thing, not for something you use every day to get to work and to live your life, but just because so you can basically randomly show off a couple times a year. 
Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you ever want to um, get better service when you're like going through some sort of return process on Amazon, remind the person answering the phones that you're talking to that you are both dealing with a company, the owner of which owns a yacht and a smaller resupply yacht. Always, yeah. if you can find a way to loop that into conversation somehow, that person just became your best friend. That's my sort of signing off uh, knowledge here. Yeah. This is why, I mean, this is why, you know, my, my friends in finance and stuff uh, don't like me so much um, because when they try to boast about their yacht, all I do is make fun of them yeah. because like, I just make, cause I'm just like, dude, like you can get a pill for erectile dysfunction. It's, it's a lot, <laughs> hell of a lot cheaper than all this shit because like, seriously, man. And also I swipe left on every profile of a woman who is like looking for someone with a boat. And I'm just like, and I am definitely not the man for you. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. It's a setup for mutual disappointment, you know? Yeah. Um, But Sarah, of things you do own, I hear that you own a a hot honey company. Uh, That's a fact. You can get your scorpion honey and your sweet stinger and your vernal elixir and all kinds of new stuff at metalhoney.com. Also, that's M-E-T-A-L-H-O-N-E-Y. It was supposed to be a jewelry company, but what the fuck do I know? Uh, And then now you can look up um, some super fun. If you're looking for uh, like a graduation gift for somebody getting out of nursing school or a a white coat ceremony, I'm selling these little capsule looking glosses at dollypopgloss.com. And you get what you buy five, you get a six one for free. Oh, very nice. They look like, uh, if I remember correctly, they look like pills. Yes, that's right. They look like little yeah. little pills, um, and they are they're five. I think they're five milliliters, um, and there's all kinds of fun colors up there. It's just like a cute thing to have around. Oh, great, I love it. And yeah, graduation season is coming, so yeah. uh, it's time to get gifts for all the the graduates in your life. And I have to say, I always enjoy this this time of the year because you get to see people wear ridiculous robes, like it's yeah. like still sixteen ten. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if and if you ever want to go down our internet rabbit hole, like. Look up all of the details and like very Baroque history and meaning yes. of all the details on professors' robes and stuff like that. Like the ropes and the hoods and the yada yadas. Cord, yeah, it's the sorry. sort of thing. It, it feels like joining it. Like at first they're like, it's a religious order. I'm like, no, it's, it's a cult. <laughs> it's cult of academia, baby. Yeah. It's very cult. Yeah. So yes, go to metalhoney.com, uh, you know, buy all that stuff. It's delicious. It's amazing. You will enjoy it. <laughs> Go where, go and do that. Where can they find you? Well, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Perp Stew. You can also hit us on Facebook, message us. But most importantly, like, subscribe, share uh, the podcast. Um, we are going to be doing a uh, – we've been getting kind of wonderful response from our WTF series. Yeah. The last one uh, is going to be coming out soon once I finish editing it. Um, and then we're going to be hitting the next WTF series. And I think – Tennessee has probably launched yes. itself. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it really walked right into that spotlight, didn't it? I mean, they heard clearly what happened is they heard about the series and they were saying North yes. Carolina was pulling ahead. And yes, those Tennessee lawmakers said, hold, hold our beer. Yeah, hold all of our beers. Oh, man, they held so much beer. <laughs> I mean, Brett Kavanaugh would be proud, but. That's going to do it for us this week. Uh, This has been the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.